Well, as we um, continue in John, we're getting to this part of the, the story that, uh, I mean, there's just a lot of change happening. I mean, this is the most epic part of the story. Jesus has just been crucified, and now he's risen. They think that the body has been stolen, and so there's a lot of fear, a lot of tension among the disciples. And uh, as I was reading through and just kind of meditating on the text these last couple of weeks, um, I started thinking about my own life, and I don't know about you guys, but um, I've been finding myself the last couple of years kind of living with uh, this sort of background noise in my head of just this question that's always looming that is, what next? What's coming next? And that's just kind of how it's been for me the last couple of years. I just, every time something tragic happens, uh, I'm always just a little on edge waiting uh, for the next thing, the next trial, the next hardship. Uh, and it causes me to kind of have a little bit of antsiness, a little bit of anxiety, because I'm just expecting that something bad is just around the corner. Um, and I, I think we all kind of have at least a little bit of that kind of throughout our lives, but for me, the last couple of years, it's become a lot more acute, uh, a lot more... Um, present. It's kind of upgraded from like a low-grade fever sometimes maybe to like a, a full fever, you know. And, and um, it just leaves me uh, a little bit just wondering, a little on guard, a little apprehensive, and just wondering, what's next? And today as we look at the text and we see where the disciples are at, it's exactly where they're living. They find themselves now locked in a room fearful, and wondering what's next. And so I hope that we can all find some comfort because it, the text doesn't just leave us there with them just cowering, living in fear, but gives them hope and now gives us hope that we don't have to live in that place. We can actually move forward. And it gives us even the, the way, as we look through this text, it gives us the way by which we can move forward, even if we know that there are things that are coming up. Because that's a reality. Sometimes we, just, we know certain things are going to happen. But with this text, with this, these promises, it shows us how we can move forward, even knowing in the face of what's next. So I want to pray, and we're going to be in John chapter 20. We're going to be starting in verse 19 and going just a few verses through 22. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us all we need for life and godliness. We are not lacking because you've made all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms available to us. You give us the wisdom of your word. You give us the great weapon of prayer. And you give us a church community when we're weak in those things, weak in our rehearsing of the gospel in our minds, when we're weak in our prayer. You even have this other, I don't want to call it a backup plan because it's your plan A, but you have this other thing called the church that helps us when we're weak in the other things. And this is all your design. You give us all these things so that in our weakness, in our failures, our shortcomings, our fears, you can give us strength. You can help us through the hardships of life. So help us, Lord, to believe these promises, to believe truth, even when we're living in maybe some self-doubt or some different fears or unbelief. Help us to believe what we know is true. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would lead us and guide us into your word today, that you would just illuminate the scriptures, open our minds and our eyes wider and wider so we can see these promises clearly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. So John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So the disciples here, they're in hiding. I mean, you think of the emotional frenzy that's going on in their minds and their hearts. The city right now is jam-packed with Jewish pilgrims from all over the place because they're in town for Passover. So there's millions that have descended upon the city. So it's just kind of madness and chaos everywhere. There was a public execution the day before Passover. And keep in mind, this is a very small geographic location. It's very, very small. And so everyone knew that this man, Jesus, had just been killed. The Romans loved, as we saw a few weeks ago, they loved to put these crucifixions on full display uh, on roads that would be leading into Jerusalem so that everyone would see it. They wanted to make an example. And not only had Jesus been killed, but also their good, close friend of at least three years, Judas, he'd also had died. He'd committed suicide. He betrayed not only Jesus, but betrayed them as well. And remember, they, they didn't expect this. You know, they didn't, I mean, when, when, when uh, the disciples asked, who is it's going to betray you? They had no idea. So Judas was playing a pretty good game. So this was a friend, a friend that betrayed them, betrayed Jesus, and now he's gone. So they've lost two friends in just a matter of hours and the city is just kind of chaotic. There's just a lot of fear and turmoil in their hearts. And now they believe that the body of Jesus had been stolen. <laughs> so now they're just like wondering, what next? What's going on here? They stole his body. There's a conspiracy going on. Are they going to come after us? We don't know what's going on. It's crazy in town. It's just, it's a lot. So they're gathered together in fear and in hiding and everything just seems to be completely out of control. All their lives are spiraling into confusion and chaos. And with all the hype and the quick turns of events that seem to come every just few minutes, they fear that they are next. They're next. It's fascinating to me the contrast between these disciples and then that of the women that were with John who were at the cross and even of Joseph and Nicodemus. One group is risking all, another group is hiding all. It's really interesting just to see these two different groups of people. But we can find great hope and take courage with what we see in the story of these fearful disciples. And that's good news because the truth about this life that we're in, this marathon we run, this discipleship, the sanctification in our life, is that today maybe you're more like John or Nicodemus or Mary, you're feeling pretty strong, feeling pretty bold and good in your faith, and that's a good thing that you should thank the Lord for. But there will be a day or a time or a season in your life where you're going to be a bit more like these disciples, wondering what's next, fearing the future, confused, feeling lost, your world falling apart, everything just seems chaotic and out of control. So no matter where you're at right now, if you're already there, or if you're more like Nicodemus and Mary right now, whatever it is, today is going to be good news for you and for me, because we need this, whether for right now or as preparatory for the future. So here we are in the story. They're locked in the upper room, where just a few nights before, they had their Passover meal. And John makes specific mention that the door is, in fact, locked Verse 19, in the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So Jesus suddenly appears in the room. Now in the next section in John, verse 20, 
uh, verse 26. He actually does this again, Jesus does. So this is the second time he does his new little party trick. (laughs) And John gets more specific. So look at verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So John here adds that little word, although. So he's saying, even though the doors were locked, Jesus somehow got there. So this is a new thing, being able just to appear out of nowhere. And the Gospel of Luke gives us even more detail that when they saw him, they thought he was a ghost. Because they're saying, how did you get in here? You, you must be a ghost. There's no way. The doors are locked. So that's how much, I mean, this door was locked. There's no other way in. And all of a sudden he appears. So they're thinking this must be a ghost. But it wasn't a ghost. Back to verse 20. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They knew it was really actually him. It wasn't a ghost. So though this is the actual body that hung on that cross, Jesus somehow is able to appear where he wants and when he wants to. This morning we're going to look at two main observations in this text. The first one is pretty obvious. We observe that the disciples were scared. We're going to look at the fear of the disciples first. They have this fear of what's coming next, a fear of being exposed, a fear of persecution or being put to shame. It's the same fear that caused Peter to deny Jesus, isn't it? That was the same fear he had. He denied Jesus because of this fear. And it's not too far off from the kind of fear that caused Judas to completely betray Jesus. All of us have fears. Big fears, small fears, medium fears. I want you to ask yourself right now, what fears do you have? What are you afraid of? You might want to grab a pen. You might want to write some things down. I want you to really take inventory. Be honest with yourself. What are you afraid of? If you say, I have no fear, I don't believe you. We all have fears. What do you fear losing? What do you fear losing in life? What do you fear that God won't give you in this life? Are there things, are there dreams that you have, that you want, and you fear maybe God won't give them to you? Or do you have things that you fear God might take from you or require of you, call you to? Do you fear the future, not being able to live comfortably or be able to retire by a certain age, have enough money? Do you fear our, our culture, our society, and where it's headed? Do you fear the past, maybe mistakes that you're afraid are going to haunt you, come back to bite you? Do you have fear of man making decisions based on what's easiest rather than on what is right, what doesn't upset people, just being a people pleaser? Are you afraid of losing friends, maybe not being accepted by the people in your inner circle? You don't want to be shunned by them. You want to be liked by them. Or do you have maybe a fear of of not being useful in this life? Maybe by God. God can't really use me. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the talents. I fear that. Or maybe it's by people. My kids are getting older. They don't need me anymore. Maybe do you fear not having a purpose in life? Or maybe just being known. Do you fear being known, really actually known, being honest with people? Do you fear being honest and truthful about where you're at in your life, the things going on in your heart and your mind? Are there struggles in your marriage that you're afraid to share with others because you want to have the show? You want people to think that you're just such a godly husband, godly wife, you've got this amazing marriage and you're fearful, to be honest. You fear people knowing 
that you have issues so you don't ask for help with your marriage. Or maybe you're struggling with your parenting. Your kids are struggling. They're, you're battling disobedience. They're struggling maybe in their faith, their decision-making, or you've got frustrations, and you fear people knowing that your kids have issues. You fear people knowing that your kids actually sin. Weird, right? So you don't ask for help. You don't reach out. Your identity is wrapped up in those things. You fear coming clean about some secret sin, pornography, bitterness, jealousy, greed, gossip, anger, doubt, whatever it is, you fear just coming clean about something that is plaguing you and you're hiding. You worry about being judged if you open up and share those things with people so you don't ask for help. Or do you fear being alone? All these things. These are so many things we can be fearful of. So I'm going to start with some of mine. I live with, as I kind of mentioned, just a sort of an ever-present expectation and anticipation that bad news is always coming. I'm always expecting a, a text or an email or some kind of difficult news or situation. I fear who the next person in my life is going to be that turns from Jesus, falls into sin or is drawn away by idols, kind of drinks the Kool-Aid, so to speak, of some empty philosophy that the world is peddling, gets sucked into worldly goals and lifestyle, new kind of trendy idols that offer... Um, Empty, vain promises of false peace, false comfort. If only they could have this or that or if this was different. And then centering their lives around lesser things. I fear sometimes that people will just maybe get tired of me. Or tired of the church. Tired of accountability. Tired of being known or tired of the hard work that is community because community and relationship is hard messy work you don't come to church and just say oh hey here's your free community and it just works magically no we have to work for relationship it's not just given and all of a sudden you've got these amazing relationships and friendships no it is work for sinners to be friends with sinners. I fear not being able to do all the things that's in my heart that I want to do for my church, for my family, for my friends. I, I fear failing them. I fear failing you. I fear that I won't shepherd well or preach well. I fear that I won't live up to my own expectations that I put on myself, being a perfectionist. Even though I know that I can't live up to my own expectations, I know that I will never live up to everyone's expectations, and I know that I'm going to disappoint, but I still fear the day that that will inevitably happen, that failure. I know it'll happen. I know I'm going to fail me and you and everyone else in my life at some point, but yet I fear that day when it happens. I think about my boys' futures, their faith, making good decisions, their future marriages, children, the pains of life that I know that they're going to go through. I don't know what pains, but I know that they're going to go through pains in life. And you know, as parents, you, just, you, don't, you don't want that for your kids. You want to protect them, but I just know I can't. So I think about that. I want them to be prepared for it. I fear the next cancer diagnosis. And I fear the next death. And if I'm honest, I fear sharing all these things. Because inevitably, I know that someone, whether here or watching online, or someone's going to consider all these things I'm saying as just weakness and looking down on me. 
I know that from experience. But the reality for us is that many of these things that I've mentioned for myself and also the previous list, they're inevitable. These aren't unrealistic things. We're not being paranoid here. These are real things that happen. A lot of things, they're, they're going to happen. There's no way around it. But what happens is that we lock ourselves in these rooms. We hide ourselves in these rooms and we lock the doors. And we don't let anyone in, much less Jesus. We fear being found out. We seek comfort in greener pastures. We seek protection. We seek safety. We avoid accountability. We avoid getting counsel for our marriages, for our kids, for our problems, our secret sin. We just kind of convince ourselves, no, we got this. I'm fine. I I got this. And though these are real and many of these are inevitable, for myself, I have to remind myself that this is what I've signed up for in following Jesus. Specifically, me as a, a pastor, I know that I've signed up to run into the burning buildings of people's lives. When the natural reaction is to run from people's chaos and mess, I run into it. I've invited the criticism into my life of both the world and also the church. When I said yes to planting a church, I knew that I would get criticism from both sides. I I knew that going into this. I know that I'm going to be oftentimes the tip of the spear with many trials and sin in the lives of people that I love. I have to dive into messy situations. And I take on the, the brunt of a lot of that. Every week I stand up here, I'm poking the idols in the hearts of my friends. Every week that I stand up here, I am potentially picking a fight. But not with you. I'm not not here to pick a fight with you. I'm here to pick a fight with your idols. And I I hope you, you know that. That I'm not here to, to start trouble with a person. But I'm here to pick fights with our idols. And though I know that it's good when people feel uncomfortable, I know that's good. Most people don't want to actually be challenged. They want me to challenge other people's sin. But knowing all this, knowing these things, knowing that that's is good when we're uncomfortable, reminding myself of what God has called me to, it doesn't make those fears necessarily go away, but it helps me face them with the right perspective. So for you, for me, for all of us as Christians, we have to know what we've signed up for. Now, the disciples in the story right now, they don't know yet know that, what they've signed up for. They have a hint of it because they've been with Jesus for three years. They've heard a lot of his teachings. But they don't yet fully know what they have signed up for, but they will soon. And we do now. We know what we've signed up for. So, brother and sister, know what you have signed up for when you said, yes, I'm going to follow Christ. And this doesn't matter how long you've known the Lord. If you're a new believer or kids in the room, this is for you as well. Teenagers, this is for you as well. Everyone here in this room, if you call yourself a Christian, you call yourself a believer, if you've been baptized, you take communion, you better remind yourself that you're called to die to yourself. You're called to humility, meekness, and accountability, to be sanctified, to be transformed, to crucify your own flesh. You're called to servanthood, to love your enemies, to be salt and light in this world, to confess your sin. You're called to confess your sin and repent. You're called to take up your cross. You're called to share the good news with others. You're called to submit yourself to God's word. And we can go on and on and on and on. We're called to persecution and trials. We're called to rejection. 
So when I'm faced with my own fears, even the ones that are inevitable and realistic, what I have to do is answer the question, so what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? Where am I going to put my trust? The fears aren't going to go away, so what am I going to do about it? Uh, This last week I was uh, having breakfast with my friend Ron, who's a pastor in Oceanside, and I have for 24 years now called him my pastor. We meet monthly. I was sharing with him some of these fears, kind of just talking through stuff. It was the first time we'd gotten together uh, since just the last couple months of chaos. So we were just catching up a lot and just sharing with him some of these things and said, you know, Ron, I'm just, just kind of fearful for when the other shoe drops. You know that phrase, just when the next thing happens. And he says, well, you know, look at your life. Look at the way God has been glorified in your life, how he's gotten you through everything. So he says, when the other shoe drops, and it will, you can know that God will use it for his glory. Because he has so far, and so he'll do it again. And I'm thankful that God's word gives me counsel on this. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 to 15, says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So look at that progression. Begins with an unbelieving heart. The author here calls an evil unbelieving heart. But it doesn't stop with unbelief. Then that heart, that unbelieving heart, turns into falling away. But it doesn't even stop there. Then that fallen away heart then becomes hardened. Isn't that clearly what plagued the disciples in the room that day? An unbelieving heart? That's where they're at right now in the story. They're in that first line of that text, an unbelieving heart. Now, in this moment, for the disciples, they can either go the way of falling away and having their hearts hardened like Judas, or they can repent and believe. So they're battling unbelief, they're battling doubt and fear, and they have a choice, okay? There's a reality out there. Jesus was killed, Judas is gone. What's next? We're next. Okay, so what are you going to do about it, disciples? You're going to fall away and kind of keep going down that road, or are you going to do something different? Where are you going to put your trust? And so I'd ask you, and I've asked myself, where am I in some of these things, some of these fears that maybe you wrote down, or maybe you kind of took, you know, journaled in your mind, some of those fears you have, where are you at with those fears, with your sin? Where are you at? Are you still in the unbelieving place, or have you already gone into falling away? you got to be honest with yourself. Have you started falling away from your Savior? Or have you gone to the place where you've become hard-hearted in your sin? You have to be honest with yourself. See, your sin has many ingredients to it. Pride, arrogance, sexual lust, indifference, selfishness, stubbornness, bitterness, anger, you name it. There's a lot of ingredients to the different sins that maybe you wrote down or some of the fears you have, a lot of ingredients. But the one ingredient, unbelief, that ingredient, unbelief, is the ingredient in your sin that most displeases God, that gives it the foul taste. And it's unbelief that will lead to falling away and a hardened heart. So we think about it again, think about sexual sin, greed, Quarrels, divisiveness, gossip. Unbelief is what causes us to commit those sins. We don't believe God's design for marriage and sexuality and relationships. 
We don't think that his design is fair or realistic. We don't believe that he's giving us what's best for us. So since we don't believe that, then we go and we sin. We lust. We don't believe that he has our best interest in mind. We don't believe that gossiping about another image bearer is actually wrong because that person deserves to be gossiped about. So we don't believe that this, is, this isn't wrong, so we go and we commit that sin. We don't believe that telling the truth about our secret sin, our struggles, is the best and most freeing thing for us because we don't believe that God will actually be our protection and our healer. So we continue to live in unbelief and we hide and then we fall away and then our hearts are hardened in that secret sin. We don't believe that God has put our, our parents or our pastors or our spouses or our church family in our lives to truly care for us and lead us. We don't, we don't believe that. And so we start falling away from relationships and accountability and respect of our parents and our church community and our pastors and our hearts get hardened towards those people. And here in the story, the disciples don't believe that Jesus really is who he said he is or will do what he said that he would do. And they don't believe that he has the power to save them now from the Jews and the Romans. So they hide and they lock the door. Unbelief, church, is a close cousin of fear. They're nearly one and the same. Fear exists when there is no belief, or at least no belief in the right thing, when there's no faith. Fear exposes our unbelief. Fear exposes our unbelief. And, and listen, that's a good thing. It's a good thing that your fear exposes your unbelief because there's unbelief swirling around in your heart. The only way you can attack it is if it gets exposed. So when you have these fears, that little list you made in your head or you wrote down, know that that's where you start needing to drop those gospel bombs so you can eradicate that unbelief. A few weeks ago, we had a baseball game for uh, one of our travel teams. It's a group of boys that uh, I just, I love. I've coached many of them since they were 11, 12 years old. And one of them during the game had a little bit of an outburst. I don't know if you know this, but sometimes teenage boys have outbursts of anger when things don't go their way, especially in sports. And uh, the team was kind of getting frustrated with themselves and I love this team when we're having fun, we're winning, all those kinds of things. But I told them afterwards, I said, look, boys, I I love when we're just having a great time and, you know, we're hitting well and things are going. I mean, you guys are the most fun group of boys to coach. But I told them, I said, I don't really mind, actually, this might surprise you, but I don't really mind when things go south. I don't mind when you guys have these little outbursts, not because I like the outburst, but it gives me insight into what's going on in your heart. So when things are going well, you know, they, they know that I'm not here just to coach baseball. I'm, I'm, I'm in their lives to coach their hearts. But when things are going well, I don't have a ton to work with because everything's going great. So I told them that when you have these little outbursts, I actually don't really mind that because now I go, ah. I, and I tell them, I already know what's in your heart. I already know because I know you well. I've been your age. I already know it's there. It's just that when things are going well, it's easy to hide those things. And so I told them that when this happens, when, when these things get exposed, that's a good thing because it's already in there. But we can't deal with it until it comes out. So it's good when our fears are exposed. It's good when our idols are provoked. The fact of the matter is that they're already in there. But when things are going well, you serve those idols silently under the cover of darkness. No one else sees it. But when things break, when things aren't going well in your life, suddenly you're forced to face your idols. They come out of the woodwork. They show themselves through your fears. You're exposed for who you really are. You're exposed for what really matters most to you. That is shown now to everyone. Here is what I worship Here's what is most important to me. 
Here's what I put above other things. When our worlds start breaking, our idols are exposed. You fight to preserve the things that are most dear to you, what you deem as necessary for your own happiness, necessary for your own fulfillment and your own satisfaction. And the disciples locking themselves in this room have exposed their own fears and their idols. But this brings us to our second observation, that Jesus goes where he pleases and when he pleases. The second thing we see in this text, he goes where he pleases and he goes when he pleases. Notice he does not wait for them to open the door. He doesn't have to knock. He doesn't wait for them to muster up enough courage and face their fears. No, he meets them there in their fear, in their hiding, in their locked room. Jesus' church is a good shepherd. And he will interrupt your fear because he's good and because he loves you. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. He will interrupt your grief, your weakness. And he will meet you there in your confusion, in your chaos. He'll interrupt your sin, your calloused heart. He'll interrupt your hardened conscience. He'll crash your pity party. Now he'll do this, I should add, as the author of Hebrews added, only if you are his sheep. Only if you are his sheep. Because he tends his sheep. Look again at what he says to them back in John as he finds them in the midst of their hiding. He says in verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. He doesn't appear in the room and berate them, chastise them, humiliate them. He doesn't come in the room and say, seriously, you're hiding? Do you not see what I did? What are you doing in here? Are you kidding me? He doesn't do that. He's not surprised by their unbelief. No, he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus here in the upper room was reassuring them, reminding them that he will give them his Holy Spirit and that he's going to be their strength and their power to go. Just as he was sent by the Father, now he is sending us, but sending us into our worlds, our lives, our own mission fields. He knows your unbelief. He knows your fears. He knows your idols. He knows your, your secret sin. He knows all those things, but he says, peace be with you. Believe, trust in my peace. I am sending you out, even with, with all your fears, all these things, but I'm giving you the spirit to do this so you can face your fears. You can face your unbelief. So we think again of those fears, parenting, marriage, sickness, death, loss, fear of the future, fear of the past, haunting you, whatever it is, you now can go forward. You can face those fears not in your own strength because Christ has given you his peace you have peace with God. What, what are you afraid of? What am I afraid of? I've got peace between me and God. And I have his spirit to equip me and enable me and empower me. In Psalm 27, verse 1, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me, okay, so even when things aren't going well, and there's chaos around, you're kind of thinking, what's next? Even when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an 
army will encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. And here's the key. In verse 4, one thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after. The one thing I'm going to seek after is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Even when the enemy is encamped around you, even when there's chaos and grief, fear and unbelief all around you, one thing we seek after is to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You say, God, all these things are coming upon me. I don't know what's next or when is next, but I just, one thing I ask is to be in your dwelling, to be in your presence forever, that even when everything is falling apart, I am with you. That is the one thing that I ask when life itself closes a door and locks it behind us, we ask ourselves, okay, so what am I gonna do now? What am I gonna do now? I do, in my life, I do a lot of what I call failing forward. That's how I'm feeling a lot right now in my life. I feel as if I'm just failing in so much in my life. But I have confidence that the Lord is using all of this, and even all of my failing these last few months, he's using all of this for a very specific purpose in my life. I know that even my failing is not going to be in vain. The different ways where I feel like I'm just not doing well, not living up to expectations, whether you know, real or assumed or whatever, I know that none of this is going to be in vain. I know that God is using this very season, grief, sorrow, Failure, everything, he's going to use it for specific purposes in my life, teaching me to become more dependent on him, to draw my strength from him and not from myself, to trust in his ways and his word more, to be humbled and dependent, not just on his Holy Spirit, but also on you, his church. And I've learned a lot of that, to be trusting in God's design for his church these last few months. Jesus was not stopped by a closed, locked door. And he wasn't stopped by a lack of invitation. Nor was he stopped by the lack of their faith or their fear. Church, be reminded that death didn't even stop him. So when life does close a door, it won't stop Jesus from working in your life. It won't, it can't. Psalm 139 verse 11 says, if I say surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me is like night. But then the psalmist says, even the darkness isn't dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. Nothing, church, can stop him. And nothing will stop him. He will never stop working out his purposes in your life. He comes to you in your weakness, your grief, your sorrow, your sin. And he says, peace be with you. I've given you my spirit and I'm sending you out just as I have been sent. You know, when Moses argued with the Lord about his own weaknesses, the Lord said to Moses in Numbers chapter 11, is the Lord's hand shortened? Yeah, I'm not sure. Is my hand too short? I can't reach you, Moses. I, I'm not able to do the thing. Do, do I look like I'm unable? I, I love kind of the humor here. He says, is the Lord's hand shortened? But he says, now, though, you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. Church, Christ has given you his word. His promises and his promised Holy Spirit. So yes, like the disciples, we're being sent just as Christ was. And yes, into a world that does not want Christ. But we go into this world with our weaknesses and our fears, knowing that he's with us. With our weaknesses, 
sending us, though, out as ambassadors. And this world needs light. This world needs salt. Your school, your workplace, your community, your neighborhood. It needs light. It needs salt. Your neighbors and friends need you to be Christ to them. So pray not just that God would save them, but pray that he would use you to bring that good news. Don't just pray for the people that you love, the people in your life. Pray that God might use you to be sent, to be salt and light. Despite your fears, your unbelief, your hang-ups, all those things, despite your idols, pray that you would be the one to be able to somehow bring that salt and light to them. Pray that God would change your heart, your desires, and change your worship. Pray and ask him that he would do that so that you can put to death those idols, those fears, that unbelief, and that you'd make him your greatest desire. Take up your cross, follow after him, humble yourself, repent of sin, secret sin, and believe and follow him. I'm going to close with reading Romans 8, verse 31 through 39. We've read this many times over the years, but it's just very fitting for us to close this morning. What then shall we say to these things? It's kind of like asking questions. So what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do? Well, if God is for us, and he is, who can be against us? He, God, who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. So who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So who can separate us from the love of Christ? Think of all those fears, all that unbelief. What of those things can actually separate you from the love of Christ? In tribulation? or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it's written, for, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things, all of your fears, all of your unbelief, all of your trials, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not, not through yourself. Not because you got this. Not because you got such big faith. No, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The one who gives us peace. The one who gives us his spirit. And so Paul says, so I'm, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else that I'm forgetting, anything else in all of creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So church, whom shall we fear? Whom shall we fear? No one, nothing. We face our fears. We stare them in the face. And say, Lord, I believe, help us in our unbelief. Help your spirit to change me. Jesus, would you interrupt me in my fear, my unbelief? Let's pray. Father in heaven, there is nothing like knowing Your eternal love. I mean, even just that, that phrase, eternal love, I, I can't even comprehend that. What that is, what that <laughs> is like. And yet I know there's nothing like it. To have this never-ending, unbreakable love and peace 
You know, I know that in the story, the disciples did not yet know what was past that moment. They don't have the epistles like we do. They didn't have revelation like we do. They were about to live out the book of Acts in their own lives. But we have all those truths. We know how the story ends. And so we don't want to lock ourselves in these rooms, these rooms of fear and unbelief that would potentially lead to falling away in hardened hearts. Holy Spirit, would you please break our hearts over our sin? Help us to hate our sin. That you'd remind us what we have signed up for as we said yes to your son. That we would die to self, crucify our flesh. Holy Spirit, would you humble us? Teach us to be dependent on you and your strength. To live in faith in the face of fear, in the face of unbelief. Lord, would you help us believe? We thank you that you are a faithful God, a good shepherd, who will never leave us nor forsake us, who will not turn us away. You are a good, good God. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.